Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Happy team day. Now, how many of you, just for record, I'm going to give you a chance to really yell really loud. How many of you wouldn't care if sports never got mentioned again in the history of the world? Just go ahead and cheer right now. Let's go. Cheer. Come on, make some noise. Let's go. See, that's why sports matter, because y'all are too quiet. Uh, hey, thanks for being here. We're just glad that you're here. Hey, we are in this series today called A New Way to Be Human. And as we just kind of began to unpack and plan this series, just looking around at culture and looking around at different things that are happening and the conflict and the way that, uh, man, the things that you read in the news and the stress that people are under and the anxiety just feels like there's a better way to live. Amen. I right, just felt like there was a new way to be human. So we've been unpacking this idea of the Holy Spirit and who is the Holy Spirit and how does that work itself out in our lives. And so week one, we talked about the identity of the Holy Spirit, like who is the Holy Spirit and kind of the way that I defined it. It's not theologically correct, but kind of a layman's version uh, of the Holy Spirit. It's just God's personal and active presence in our life. You know, when we say God did this or God whispered this or when we attribute something to the hand of God and God doing something, that is the Holy Spirit. And then last week, Joey McLaughlin did a fantastic job of unpacking the, the power of the Spirit and the fact that God wants to reside deep in our hearts to motivate us, to give us direction, to show us how to make decisions, to convict us of sin, to lead us in the right way to live. And so we unpacked that a little bit last week. And today we're going to talk about the mystery of the Holy Spirit. The mystery of the Holy Spirit. Because there are some things about God that are mysterious. Amen? Like how many of you grew up in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was called the Holy Ghost? Anybody? Like, like quite, quite a few of you, and like, like what, and some of you are like, what does that mean, like Casper, the friendly ghost? Like, what are you talking about? And so there's just this mysterious aspect um, to God that, that we need to unpack and that we need to embrace, but we need a framework for being able to process some of the mystery of God. Now, listen, there's lots of mysteries in the world. Like, how did Georgia not cover the point spread yesterday? What in the world? Like, one of the great mysteries of God, maybe not a mystery, it's called turnovers. Um, but, but what about this one? Like, how, how is it that whenever you have a house full of people to entertain, that's when your septic system backs up, right? It's just a mystery of God. Like, how, how many of you guys, like, have, have, have babies in the house right now? Handful, right? Like, why is it that when you get ready to leave the house, they have a dirty diaper? Like, I don't know. It's a mystery. Like, there's just some mysteries in the world. Now, some of those are obviously trivial, but there's some greater mysteries that we all feel and sense and experience. So, so how many mountain people are in the world? Like, to go to the mountains, it's your happy place. Okay, so you go to the mountains, and you're just kind of out. Maybe it's getting dusk, and you're out overlooking just this mountain range. Fog is settling in. Man, you begin to see the colors on the trees as the sunlight beams break through. And there's something in your soul that just kind of gets stirred up. You know what I'm talking about? It just kind of gets stirred up. And you're like, man, there's got to be some more out there. There's some mystery to that. How many, how many beach people, real Christians in the house? You know what it's like. You go to the beach, you go at a sunset or maybe at sunrise, and you're just out there by yourself. And the, the pink is beginning to settle in on the horizon, and there's just something about the immensity and the vastness of the ocean that, that you just can't measure, that it just reminds us and calls to us there's something about the mystery of God in the same way. And listen, just because something is a mystery doesn't mean it's not real and it's not true. Just because something's a mystery doesn't mean it's not real, and it doesn't mean it's not true. Listen, sometimes we don't, we don't like mystery because in Christian circles, mystery has been equated with weird. Am I right? Like there are some weird things that happen if you 
if you grew up in the televangelist age and watched some things that happen on TV and somehow somebody gets tapped in the head and they fall down on their back, like, like that's weird right there. Like, I don't know what that is, but that's weird. You tap me on the head, I'm tapping you back. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, ain't, we ain't playing that. So there's some things that happen that are weird, but people make it weird, not God. Amen? And the world needs to know that there's more to God than meets the eye. Man, the world is longing, they're thirsting, they're hungering to know that there's something transcendent about the God that we serve that's calling to them a life that is bigger than they currently see. And that the life that they're living now is not all there is to, this, to their life. And we, the world needs to see that. But also, I think we need to see it too. Amen? Like we need to know that God's still in the mysterious business, in the miracle working business, that God is still into the supernatural things of this world, that there are deeper things to God than what meets the eye. So what I want to do today is just unpack a little bit about what mystery is and how we should look at it, and then unpack just a couple uh, of mysteries in the Bible, uh, four being specific. That's not a couple. That's two couples, so four mysteries I'm going to unpack. And then at the end, what we're going to do is just kind of lean into some prayer time, uh, and that, but, but again, we're going to make it as normal as possible, but it is a mystery. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and um. I'm gonna, this is a book that was written by a guy named Paul. Now, throughout the course of this week, we have a Bible. Uh, we've written a Bible study plan for everybody to follow along with. It's on the YouVersion Bible app. It's under a new way to be human. You can scan that QR code. You can read it with one of the four of us that are up there on the screen. We'd love to, there'll be a reading for you every single day, and you'll just go to the Bible app. It'll tell you exactly what to read, ask you some questions, and help you apply it. So we'd love for you to join us in reading the Bible plan. But in this particular part of the Bible, what we have is, it's written to the Corinthians. There's a church in the city of Corinth that Paul had started. And Paul is writing this letter to them to, to correct some false thinking. Because they had kind of gotten the big head. They are like, hey, we, we understand the mysteries of God more than anybody. So we're better than everybody else. And Paul wants to say, not only do you not understand the mystery, you don't understand any mysteries because y'all are stupid is really what Paul is trying to say. And Paul comes at it with a little sarcasm. He comes at it with a little judgment. He comes at it with a little a bit of a hammer. But we're going to be able to see how Paul explains and teaches and corrects around some of these idea of mystery. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, in verse 6, Paul says this. He says, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. So there's a little jab right there. Like, if you're mature, then you're going you're gonna to listen to what I'm saying. So Paul's kind of starting to make his case um, for wisdom. He says, it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who were doomed to pass away. So Paul is beginning to say, hey, the wisdom that we operate with at, on our level isn't always the wisdom of God. It's, it's wisdom that's not going to always last. And if you keep it on going in verse 7, he says, we impart a secret. Now, the word secret there and hidden wisdom of God. He's talking about a godly mystery. He's talking about mystery right there. He says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Then if we jump down to 14, it says this, the natural person, meaning people without the spirit of God, they don't accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So in other words, people who don't follow God, they're not going to understand the things of God. That's why we don't present the things of God to them as if they should understand them, know them, follow them, believe them. Because they are not spiritually alive and they don't spiritually discern. And Paul just kind of, I think the cliff notes of what I just read is, the smarter you think you are, the harder mystery will be. Amen. Like the, the smarter that we think we are, the harder it is 
to be able to understand the mysteries of God. You see, maturity embraces mystery. Maturity embraces mystery. Now, I think there is something to process and logic to intellectualism that we should we should search out the things that we can find answers to we shouldn't shouldn't just blindly believe in the things that we're told and I'm all about intellectual and study I mean one of my degrees is in mathematics like I love formulas like if this happens then that happens I'm all about studying I love to read books I love to exercise my mind I do wordle every single night any wordle fans in the house let's go you know what I'm talking about Right? I, I believe in that, and I believe as a church, we want to be theologically robust. We want to have great teaching. We want to have deep roots that sink down that are a foundation for the faith that we hold. But there are times that we have become too much children of the Enlightenment. And, and we, we are too much focused on logic and process, and we don't even realize how we've been formed by the Enlightenment. Now, if you remember studying the Enlightenment when you were in you know, middle school, high school, maybe in college, you just know that it was this, this belief system that everything was rational and logical. It's where we got the phrase life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from. It's where we get the concepts of separation of church and state. It's where we get this belief that the individual is what matters. The individual is what life is centered on. There was one thinker that said it this way. He said that out of the Enlightenment, we just believed that people were just brains on sticks. That that's all we were. Descartes, I think, therefore, I am. All a product of the Enlightenment. Now, not all that is completely bad. But one of the things that has infiltrated the church when it comes to that is this idea is, hey, let's just make it practical. Practical. And we begin to worship at the altar of practicality. And we forsake the affection of the Almighty. Now, now I'm all for practical. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Like, I read my Bible to t- teach me how to manage my money, how to keep my wife happy, how to parent my children, how to lead our church. I mean, I think practical is good. But practical is not all there is. I mean, sometimes God asks us to do things that don't seem practical. You know, sometimes God asks us to sell what we have and move to a foreign country so we can share the gospel. Sometimes God will come to someone just like he did to Abraham and say, I want you to go to that new country. And when you get there, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Man, sometimes God works in mystery and it doesn't seem really practical. And the more mature we are, the more we can handle the mysteries of God. Now, now you'll notice that as you get more mature, you're able to handle more mystery. I don't know if some of you, maybe you remember when you were in your early 20s. And you had some friends that had kids, and their kids got to be two and three years old. You're like, man, when I'm a parent, I'm not parenting like that. <laughs> and you knew it all about parenting until when? Until you had kids. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember this? Maybe when you were 16, that you knew better than your parents about everything? They were just old-fashioned. They didn't face what you faced. And what happened? You turned 21. You're like, oh, my goodness, my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were. Because as you began to learn more, you realize what you don't know. And this is what maturity does for us. It helps us embrace mystery. You know, one thing that can happen is that we'll settle for spiritual mediocrity instead of striving for spiritual maturity. And one of the ways that we get to spiritual maturity is just acknowledging there's some things that we don't know. Acknowledging there's some ways the world works that we're not, that we're not in tune with. Acknowledging there's some things that happen that are mystery. And they're not always explained by logical, rational processes. Now, in the Bible, we see miracles happen. 
You know, in the book of Acts, it's the very first unveiling of the church. We see miracles happen. There's that one thing when Jesus uh, resurrects from the dead, pretty big miracle. Uh, We just sang about that one. Jesus goes up into heaven. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we see that they're praying in a room and thunder happens. It's like the room shakes. Pretty big miracle. We see one of the apostles named Peter. He's walking through the streets. A guy looks up at him and says, can you give me some money? He says, silver or gold, have I none? But what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Like a pretty big miracle. We see that Paul, who's, uh, who wrote this particular part of the Bible, that he, he would give away his handkerchiefs and that people would touch them and they would be healed. We just see miracles happen in the Bible. And, and sometimes we may ask the question, like, why don't we see more miracles today? Like, why, why don't we see more miracles today, more of the supernatural today? And, and, and the truth is, potentially, that maybe there aren't quite as many in the Bible as we think, but... There are more happening today than we know. Like, let me say that again. Like, there's some more miracles happening today than we know. And just because we don't know about them doesn't mean God's not still in the miracle-working business. Now, now, now you got to know, you got to know, just to be theologically grounded, there's a line of thinking that believes that miracles have ceased, that that was just part of what happened in the book of Acts, and that while God may still do miracles every now and then, that they're not part of his ongoing presence. And I'm just not one who believes that. I mean, I believe God is still in the miracle working business. I'll share a couple as we go along. But I still believe that God's working miracles. I still believe that God wants to heal people. I still believe that God wants to see people come to know him. I still believe that God's doing things in our country, in our community, but also in global places around the world that can't be explained by human logic. So we're going to lean into miracles just a little bit today. Let me ask you this. Where do you need a miracle? Where do you need something that only God could do? Like, like what, what needs to happen for you today? Is it something with your health or your marriage or your job or your bank account or your anxiety or your addiction? Like, like where is it that you need a miracle? Today, I just want to make us aware that God is still in the miracle working business. So I'm going I'm to talk about four different things, four different ways, things that are kind of mysteries to us. I'm going to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you have your Bible, keep on, keep on going. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is walking through a teaching on spiritual gifts at this point. Now, now a spiritual gift is this ability that we have, something that we have in us to be able to serve other people. That's what spiritual gifts are. So, so it, when you go through base camp, we go through an exercise to help you uncover what your spiritual gift is. There's a lot of different ways to know what they are. Um, possibly the best way to know what your spiritual gift is is to look at what need is in front of you and meet it. That's probably your gift at the moment. Um, you should just do that. And some of them are very practical and easy to explain. So, for instance, some of you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. Anybody got the gift of hospitality in the room? Yeah, so you know, you, you've got the spiritual gift of hospitality. You can have people come over to your house, and they feel at home. You connect with them, offers great conversation. But there's a few of them that aren't quite so tangible daily. And so I'm going to start out with one called prophecy in, verse four, in, chapter, in chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says this. It says, pursue love. That's really important. That's a miracle in itself. And so we'll talk about that one in just a second. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we should desire to have gifts to help others, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men but not to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
Notice that. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. That's huge. It says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. I'm going to explain that in a second. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, a lot of words in there. Let me just focus on two. One is prophecy. Prophesy. Let's talk about what that means. Now, now in the Bible, prophecy is a lot less foretelling, like predicting the future, like than it is forthtelling, just bringing God's words to life. Like, if, if it were foretelling, I think most of us would be praying that we get the lottery numbers. Hello? If we could predict the future, like, God, what are the lottery numbers? Because you, know you know why I need to win the lottery? Because I'll give half to the church, right? That's what we all say. Um, and so that's not what it is. Prophecy is just making God's word personal, okay? It personalizes God's word. Now, maybe you've had this experience in church. Here's one way it kind of looks and manifests itself, and it's a mystery. Maybe you've been in church maybe today. But maybe you've been in church and someone has said something. Maybe I've said something and you're like, did my wife call you? Because <laughs> you were talking just to me. Like you knew my circumstance. You knew what I was facing. You knew the doubt I had. You knew what I was going through. Like, like, like how did you know? And, and the truth is I'm just good. No, <laughs> the truth is I, I didn't know, right? That is a mystery of God. And I'll be honest, there are times people will come to me and say, hey, I can't believe you said this. Here's the thing I was going through. And I promise you I didn't say that. I promise I didn't. I know I didn't. But that's what they heard. Why? It is a mystery of God. It's the way God will take some words and use them to personalize his word into their life. Now, you can do that on an individual basis, too. Now, there's some... There's some guardrails for this that I'm going to get to. So some of you who went to seminary, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is getting weird. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, I'm going to make you really happy in a second. So w- there may be a time when you're like, I think God wants to, me to share a word of encouragement with this person in this way. Now, now, I've had this experience probably more than you, and this is probably one area where our jobs are different. I, I've had people come up to me say, and say, Stephen, God told me to tell you. Like, as soon as they say that, I'm like, I ain't listening to you because God didn't tell you that because that's not how this works, right? <laughs> that's not how this goes. Don't tell me. Don't say that to me. That's not how this goes. But if someone were to come to me and say, hey, Stephen, listen, I feel like God has impressed in my heart a message for you, and I would love to share it with you. I've already run it by a friend of mine just to be sure it seems, it seems to be okay. It is encouraging because it's got to be encouraging. It's got to have consolation. It's got to be upbuilding. Could I share it with you? Sure, you can share it with me. And then when they share it with me, what happens? I just take it away, and I go, and I just pray over it and see if I really think God's kind of moving in that. Now, that, that can be a little odd, a little mysterious, and it, can be a, and it can be a little off-putting. And it can be a little dangerous, right, if someone doesn't understand how this works. Now, now one of the things you have to realize is that God is never going to speak through somebody anything that's going to contradict the Bible. Hello? Like, like, can we just have this real talk about the Bible for a second? Now, now I, I grew up, I've got a Bible background. I believe the Bible is God's words to us. And sometimes we kind of tend to get away from the Bible. God's never going to lead us to do anything that is contrary to the Bible. Hello? Like, ever. Promise you, ever. This is what we believe. We're Bible people. Because the reason why we believe that is because we believe that while it's really cool that the Bible is a, is, is a, it has a testimony of eyewitness accounts. I think that's great. That's not what makes the Bible important. What makes the Bible important is that God breathed it. Hello? Like, this is what makes the Bible important, is that we believe that God breathed the Bible. 
we believe that these are his words. Nothing's ever going to be added to this. No, oh, wow. Thank you. I don't know. I thought the Holy Spirit would have brought it back up to me, but <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> so sorry. Maybe the Lord was trying to tell me just to put it down. So, so here's the thing. Like, I don't even know where I was. Now I'm so shook that that just happened. <laughs> ah, um, we believe that the Bible is God's word, that God has breathed. Nothing's going to be added to this. God's not going to bring anything back to this. And so we, we need to know that, that we need to measure everything that we do and say based on God's word, based on what he's already told us. I mean, we're, we're Bible people, and it's very important that we always remember that. You know, I, I'll have people on occasion, and it's happened more than once in my lifetime, say, God, I, Stephen, I think God just wants me to be happy. I'm just not happy in this marriage. I think I'm just going to get out. Like that. I don't think that's what God wants. I think he's already spoken. And so I think we have to be really careful about that. So prophecy is just us encouraging people, encouraging through God's word to be able to be the people that God wants them to be. Now there's another word that's, there's another word that's used in this particular text, and it's called the word tongues. How many of you have heard this word? I'm just really curious. How many of you maybe grew up with it? Oh, wow. A lot of you guys. Okay. Um, so... The idea of tongues is where probably Christianity has gotten really weird over the, over the centuries. And so in the Bible, there's two uses of the idea of tongues, okay? One is like in a missiological sense, that if there's two people together and they're from, they, have, they speak different languages and there's something that God does in the midst of them where they can understand each other. So we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the early church is getting started, they spoke in different languages that, that eat, so that each other could understand each, so that they could understand the other. Now, we've seen this happen on the mission field, specifically when we were going to Guatemala on a regular basis. We had someone that didn't speak Spanish be able to speak Spanish to someone who did speak Spanish so that they could communicate. Like, this is a miracle and a mystery of God. Like, that can happen. Now, there's also another type of tongues that it seems like Paul is talking about right here, that there is a language of heaven. It's a spiritual language. It is a prayer language that can manifest itself up in private when people are having their time with the Lord and that they can begin to speak in a language known only to them and God. And it's not a language that's recorded. It's nothing that we know about it. You can't learn it at UGA, right? It's not that kind of language. But it's a private prayer language. Now, what's happened over the course of history is that people will take this private prayer language and they will jump up in public and begin to say some things that gets very confusing for people. Can you imagine how confusing that would be? And that's why Paul is, Paul is warning them against speaking in those ways that, that he said, I would want you to speak in tongues but more to prophesy because when you prophesy, they're greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why is that? Because other people are built up, they're encouraged, and they have this, uh, and they brought consolation. So that's what it means by speaking in tongues. Now, I've, I've been in times, I've never done that, and, uh, but I've been in environments where that has happened, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that seems right. But then I've also been in environments like, I feel like you're making that up right there. And so I think you just, again, for us, it is a private prayer language that seems to be something that God, had, that Paul is telling people that they should pursue. Now, the whole idea behind prophecy and why Paul says prophecy is greater than all of them is because prophecy, prophecy is for building up the body of Christ. It's for encouragement. So one way that we can lean into prophecy as people who follow Jesus is just to look for somebody to encourage. Like every time you come on Sunday, 
You should just be like, man, who can I encourage today? Like, God, show me somebody that I can encourage. Like, just before, just before uh, service, I was back in the green room, and one of the, uh, Joe Baker, who's on our Elevate City staff, is here today. He came back and says, can I just pray for you? I'm like, that's encouraging. So how could you encourage somebody? Before you go to small group, just ask God, like, help me, help me encourage somebody today. Debbie and I this week, and I do this on a regular basis in the morning. I'm like, God, is there someone that maybe I should text or call or pray for? Is there some way that I could encourage someone today? And it's as simple as just send them a text saying, hey, praying for you today. Let me know if there's anything specific. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But can you imagine the power of encouragement? If you just were intentional about encouraging people, does anybody in here need less encouragement? <laughs> we all need encouragement, and we want to be known as that kind of people. Listen, who can you encourage today? Man, just ask God right now in your heart, like, God, who can I encourage? God may bring somebody to mind. If he doesn't, don't overthink it. <laughs> just encourage someone in your family. But we could be people of encouragement. That's what prophecy is. Hey, second mystery I want to talk about is hearing God's voice. I want to talk about hearing God's voice. In the book of John, uh, chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, the sheep hear his voice. Jesus is talking about himself. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Okay? So, so God is in the business of speaking to us. 59 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 36 times the Holy Spirit is speaking. Um, Christopher Columbus said this. He says, it is the Lord who put into my mind that fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. It wasn't in your history book, was it? <laughs> like, he believed that God spoke into his life. Now, how does that work? Okay, how does that work? There's three ways God's going to speak. One I've already pointed out with great fanfare is that God's going to speak through the Bible. <laughs> that, that, that so much of our lives and God's will for our lives has already been written down. Um, that God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in his word. And God's going to help guide our lives through that. And the second way that God wants to speak to us is through his people. That we need people in our lives who value what we value and who know the future God has for us, who understand what we hold to be important, who understand our gifts and our woundings and our experiences. And we need those kind of people in our life so they can have breathed words of life into us. So we have God's word, we have God's people, and we have God's spirit inside of us. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you just got prompted to do something you don't even know why it was. You're like, I should do that. You know, maybe it was to give something to somebody. Maybe you were walking by a homeless person. You're like, ah, I think I should give money to them. How do you know, by the way, if you should give money to a homeless person when you walk by? How do you know? If you got cash in your wallet, that's how you know. Right? If you got something to give, you should give it. But we all, we've all experienced a prompting to call somebody or to pray for somebody. Man, we've, this, is, and this is what God does in our lives. Now, there's some things that prevent us from actually hearing the voice of God. And number one is the loudness of our lives. Like that we're so busy. I mean, we're so, we're in such a rush. We got so much to do. We have so much pressure that we just don't even take the time just to really stop and think and ask, God, do you have something to say to me on this? The second reason why is 
is because we, we really don't expect he's going to tell us anything. So why waste our time? And the third reason is we really don't intend to do what he says. We're just asking him to rubber stamp the things we already want to do. So why would he speak into that? But what we know is that Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And they, they know me. Like, do you expect God to speak to you when you have big decisions? And when you wake up in the morning? And when you're thinking about how to handle a conflict or relational breakage? Man, do you expect God to, to lean in and breathe into you? It seems like it's one of those mysteries of God. Now, what I would say is if you have a big decision to make, and you feel like God's leading you in a job change or a location change, then you need to be sure, first of all, run it by Scripture. But ask somebody. If you're hesitant to ask somebody about the issue that's at hand, probably you're not ready to make that decision. But if you're, you're willing to take it before someone and ask someone and kind of hammer it out with them, then, then you'll see God begin to work through that. Every morning you should just ask God, hey, God, search my heart. Search my heart. Know the things about me I don't know about myself. Man, the, the agenda that I have, the preconceived idea, this, the way I'm thinking about this, the assumptions that I'm making, God, search my heart. Help me to know what it is that you want me to do. Now, prophecy, hearing God's voice. Hey, third thing I'm going to talk about is healing. I want to talk about healing. This is where like, everybody's like, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for. So, so if you look at the life of Jesus, man, Jesus healed people. Like Jesus physically heals people. Man, and there's some amazing stories in there. I guess any healing's really amazing if we're just being honest. But the way some of them happen are just extraordinary. Like there's this blind guy once walking and he says, I Jesus asked him, what do you want? It seems obvious. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to see. So Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and tells him to go wash in the river. And I'm thinking to myself, like if that's me, I'd be like, Jesus, I appreciate that, but can you just like, Speak it instead of spit it like I'd be nicer. <laughs> but God needed to teach him something through the healing. So this guy gets his sight back. There's this, one, there's this one situation, which is my favorite healing story. There's a lady that suffered with a hemorrhage for 12 years. And she comes along and she can't get any help. And she spent all her money on doctors. And she had paid off the religious leaders to pray for. And none of that worked. So here she is destitute and still sick. And Jesus is walking through a crowd. And as he's walking through the crowd, somehow she's able to kind of sneak her way in and reach up and just grab the bottom of his coat. And Jesus stops, and he looks around, and he says, who just touched me? Because I could sense that some healing went out. And his disciples are like, Jesus, like there's a thousand people around here. What do you mean who touched you? Like you're God, you figure it out, you know? And this woman just kind of sheepishly comes up and says, hey, it was me. And she was healed. And so we see that Jesus physically healed people, but there's also times that he didn't. There's also times when people remained sick or remained paralyzed or remained in a problematic, remained with a problem. Like that, that happened. We see healing happen in the book of Acts. We see in the early part uh, of the launch of the church, we see healing happen. And then we see Jesus' brother wrote some words specifically around healing. In James chapter 5, Jesus said this Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It says, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So we see even here we're commanded to pray for people to be made well. 
We're, prayed, we're commanded to pray for healing to happen. Now, now, there's natural and supernatural ways that healing happens. You know, man, has God given us any better gift than Advil? Like, I don't know. The other day, I, I, I was having, I had a cold earlier in the week, and my wife got some essential oils. I call them voodoo oils. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? There are, some, there are some ways that seem like we, we take some medicine or have some surgery, but, but that is still the grace of God working through that to bring healing to our bodies. It's still the grace of God. So usually I think what we mean by healing is when we think of healing, we think of non-medical intervention. Like how can God do that? Non-medical intervention. And I, you know, and I think we all would like to be like, I'd like to see more of that. And some of us would be like, I'd like to just believe it were actually true. Now, when my son was young, and you, some of you know the story in depth, but when he was eight, he was in a significant accident. And as we met with the doctors right before he went into surgery, though there was, it was touch and go as to whether he was going to live. And then as he gets out of surgery, he makes it. He's in ICU for 17 days. Then we find ourselves in rehab for about three months. And so while we're in rehab, there were some things that we didn't know about when we got there. They didn't tell us till we left. And so when we got there, he couldn't walk, and he had a traumatic brain injury, and he couldn't talk. So while we're there, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one day, we're sitting in the room as me and my other kids, and, and, he, uh, and, he, and he starts talking out of nowhere. Had, had, had no therapy, had nothing to help him. He just starts talking. I think his first words were grandan. Am I right? Yeah, his first words were my mom, were my mom, were my mom's name. Now, as we're leaving the hospital, as we're leaving rehab, we, I talked to the physical therapist, and she had, this, she had this reputation as that all of her patients actually were able to walk. Like, no matter what shape they came in, they could walk out. But they told her, when we got there, he'll be your first. He'll never walk out of here. But he walked out of there. Played high school basketball. Talked to him yesterday. He was on his way home from the gym where he was working out. Miracle. Something that medicine couldn't explain. Now, did he have therapy? Yes, he did. But he had nothing to talk. He just talked. And so that is the type of miracle that, that we're looking for. And I think for so many people, I know it's a challenge because you've prayed and you're sick and you don't know why God hadn't healed you. And truth is, there's times when God doesn't heal. There's some, there's some reasons why God doesn't heal. Um, one of them, and it's probably not you, and I hesitate to even say it, but I think for honesty and just teaching what the Bible says about it, is sometimes we don't get healed because there's some sin in our life. Now, if you've asked God if there's sin in your life and he hasn't shown it to you, it's not, it's not why you're not being healed. Can I just tell you that? Jesus even tells a specific story, and I'm going to tell it now because even though it may make me go a little long. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus comes along somebody and he can't walk, and the disciples ask him, hey, who sinned, this man? Or his parents said he can't walk. In other words, somebody's responsible. Somebody did something wrong. And Jesus said it's not this man's fault and it's not his parents' fault. So for you, maybe, or somebody you know, like it, it's not necessarily anybody's fault. So I don't want you to think that. But there's the potential that if you're not being healed that you should search your heart and just ask God. He'll tell you. And another reason why uh, people don't get healed is some sick people don't want to get healed. You ever met anybody like that? They're like being in there. Malady, they like being in their suffering, gives them a sense of identity. Some sick people don't want to get healed. Um, sometimes we just don't ask God. 
I can't tell you how many people I've talked to when they get sick and I, they, and I ask if you want to pray over them. And there's just this level of pride that comes in because we don't want people to know that we're sick, do we? We don't want people to think that we're weak and frail. We don't want people to know that we're just like they are, that we're still strong. You know, when I had hip surgery just a while back, one guy said, hey, don't, don't tell people you have surgery, man. It makes us old guys look bad. I'm like, did you look bad anyway, right? <laughs> because we just don't want to admit weakness. Why? And so we don't ask people to pray for us. Does anybody ever pray for you to get well? And then the last one is, man, it's sometimes just a mystery of God why it doesn't happen. You know, Paul, who is, you know, outside of Jesus, uh, the greatest missionary in the Bible, spiritual powerhouse, had a thorn in his flesh. Three seasons he goes to God and he says, God, take this thing. Like, I'm done. Take this thing from me. And God doesn't take it from him at all. Paul, who probably had more prayers answered than any of us. And the reason why God didn't answer it according to Paul says, in your weakness, my powers may, my strength is made perfect. And so what God does, even in the midst of times when we struggle and, and are in pain, man, what God does is he allows us to lean into him. And that's just the grace of God. And he allows us to understand more of him. And he allows us to experience his strength and his comfort in such a way, man, that, that, that it overrides our illness. Now, now there, there's another type of, of brokenness that we have. Um, there's another type of brokenness, and it's, it's our hearts get broken. And our hearts get broken. Um, some of you have experienced that. There's a, there's a passage in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 61 where Jesus says this. He says, the Spirit's the Lord upon me, for he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And you'll notice it says, and to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, now let me explain that brokenhearted. Now, now the word for brokenhearted, we get it. You know what, your girlfriend left you. You know, you got some emotional sadness. That's not what, that's not what that word means. It literally means is if you were to take a stick and break it in two, that your heart is broken. And this is what happens to people. And our hearts get broken for many reasons. It could be you were abused. It could be you were abandoned. It could be you have some guilt or shame over something you did or didn't do. Man, man it, it could be something that someone said to you like a parent or a teacher and those words just continue to resonate in your mind, and you've lived your life actually combating those words. And it just manifests itself in so many ways. Insecurity is a, is a result of brokenness. Have you ever had the feeling where you're like, part of me wants to, and part of me doesn't? It's because your soul's broken. And we know that girls that go through trafficking, man, their souls are broken. It's more than physical and so we live with this brokenness in our soul, that, and we find ourselves living the same mistakes in the same situations year after year after year. And we don't know why we can't break out of the cycle. It's because you need God to heal your soul. Now, now for those uh, who, who have prayed for healing and haven't got it, I just want to read I just want to read a couple of verses for you today. Hopefully this will be an encouragement for you today in Romans chapter 8. It's not going to come up on the screen. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. I consider, Paul's writing this, the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be. Let me hold on this Bible tighter. For the glory that will be revealed to us. Watch this. 
It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against us? Is it God who justifies, who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the reality is you get healed today of your sickness, it's coming back because you're going to die, right? You're welcome. Um, But then... But then we get that. We all get that. And that is the promise. Man, healing is a mystery of God. And it's a mystery of God. And don't let anybody blame it on you that you haven't been healed. But also, don't stop praying that God would heal you. Don't stop. Hey, what's broken in your life? What's broken in your life? Hey, last mystery. Last mystery, I said. And as he said in those first words, he said, pursue love. Pursue love. Love, man, love is the greatest mystery of all. Man, it's the greatest mystery of all. It's the greatest miracle in the world that God would love us. It's the greatest mystery that God would create us. And God would set us in this world to image his glory to the world, to give us dignity and to give us power and to give us a a mission, right, and that we would rebel and do our own thing. And then we would run around chasing after little false gods that only bring temporary pleasure. And that we know that we know that we know it's not really what we're looking for, but we go after it anyway. And God says, don't worry about it. Hey, come back to me. Stop sinning. Come back to me. My arms are open. Come back to me. Hey, you prodigal son, come back to me. Hey, you wayward child, come back to me. It's just a mystery of God that God would love us. And it's not just some intellectual fact that happened. Because, yes, God proved it because Jesus died on the cross. He took our sin, he took mine, he took yours, and he paid the penalty for it. But sometimes that can just feel like something that's far off out there. But God wants us to experience his love deep down in our heart. Now, now, listen, I'm a thinker by nature. If you know anything about personality inventories, right, I'm a thinker. I'm task-driven, right? I'm not, so, I'm not always in touch with my emotions. Like the only time that I cry is at 9.30 and 11.15 on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> and it's usually about my children. Like I, I like black coffee and red meat, right? I mean, I... I'm not that in touch with my feelings, but in 2004, God just began to impress on me, like, how do you experience God's love? Like, what's that like? And so I just began to ask God to do that in my life. It's not objective, but something deep in my soul. And God just began to change my heart. And for you, you're like, what does it mean to experience God's love? Listen, it means you can have confidence when you live. It means you don't have to walk around in insecurity anymore, wondering if you matter or if you can do what it takes. Hey, for men in the room, you know what it feels like? It feels like respect. Man, it feels like God's looking at you like, yeah, I made you. Yes, you got what it takes. Yes, I can fill your heart. Yes, I can enable you. Yes, you can hear my voice. That's what it feels like. You know, it feels like forgiveness. And when you look back on your life and the things that are broken, the things that are gone, the things that you did that you wish you wouldn't have done, man, the regrets that you have and the guilt and the shame that seems to go before you into every meeting, man, that's what it feels like. Man, it feels like strangling anxiety out of your life 
Man, that's what it feels like to be loved by God. It feels like being accepted even though you know your failures and foibles and your sins. It feels like God brings you in. It feels like God's sometimes putting his hand in your face and saying, you can do better than that. You can do better than that. That's what it feels like at times. Man, this is the mystery of the love of God in our hearts. And it's something that we can experience deep down. And man, can we just say that salvation is the greatest miracle of all? That spiritual resurrection is the greatest mystery that God would be able to come into our lives and regenerate us and give us a hope and a future. Listen, this is the greatest mystery of God, that God loves us so deeply. And there was a time when I would just get up every morning and I would say, hey, God, help me experience, not know, experience your love as a son today. Like, help me experience your love as a son would experience your love today. It was uncomfortable for me, if I'm just being honest. Didn't really like doing it. But, man, God did a work in my life that will never be taken away. God, help me experience your love as a son. Listen, there is no worse suffering than suffering alone. So I want us to kind of lean into another mystery, and that's the mystery of prayer. You might think prayer is a little bit of a mystery at times. Listen, I think that God wants to work a miracle in your life somehow. I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know what that is. And it may not be today. It may be for next year, next week. But, but, I, but I believe it could be for today. So we want to pray over each other today. And so what we're going to do is I'm going I'm to tell a story out of the Bible. And then we're going to have some time of prayer. Now, we're going to have some, some of our staff and other volunteers are going to come down front. And I'm going to invite you to come down and to pray. And, and for God to pray, for these, these guys to pray over you. Now, now you may be thinking, oh, I don't know about that. My mind's not that big. Tell a story out of the Bible. There's a story where there was a man and his son was sick. And Jesus' disciples came and they prayed over him. Nothing happened. So Jesus shows up on the scene. He's like, what's going on? And they're like, your disciples prayed for him. And they couldn't heal him. And he said, can you? And Jesus says, if you believe. Oh, that feels like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? My belief is what's going to make my son get better. But then Jesus, but then this man's prayer is the purest form of faith we see in the Bible. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, wait. I believe, but I need help believing. It's like, God, I want to believe. God, I've been told to believe. God, I've tried to believe, but clearly I, you got to help me believe. I need some help believing. I need some help with faith. You know what Jesus did? Your son is healed. All because he just had this pure form of humility. Because that's what maturity does. It steps up and it says, I, I believe I'm doing my best, but I don't have what it takes, God. But you do. You can heal me. So today, maybe you have a physical problem. you got a bad diagnosis. you got some chronic pain you've been struggling with for years. You've got something you don't like to talk about because you don't want to be, you know, playing violins for everybody. Man, you need somebody to pray for you today. You need somebody to pray for you today. Maybe your heart's broken. You know you keep hitting the same roadblock, the same speed bumps, the same stop sign, the same old uh, circle of life. You keep going in all the time. You can't seem to break out of it because your heart's broken. Listen, maybe you're struggling with infertility today. And God hasn't given you and your spouse a child, and you don't know why, and you're just mad. And you just need someone to pray for you today. I mean, it could be you're struggling with anxiety or depression or doubt. It could be that you're like, God, I just need more faith. Man, I, I'm just complacent and I'm bored. God, breathe faith into me today. 
And so what's going to happen is as we're singing this last song, we're just going to invite you to come down. And someone's going to probably, they're just going to lay hands on you. Because there's just something about laying hands on you that transmits, that just identifies with people. And we see this in the Bible. It seems like God's spirit does something. Now, if you don't want them to lay hands on you, totally fine. We'll just lay spiritual hands on you. It'll be a mystery. And they're just going to pray over you. It's not going to be weird. They're going to talk in English. (laughs) But, man, let's just expect God wants to do some miracles. Let's pray together.